Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Rail Podcast, episode 10. Finally hit double digits with the number of episodes. Still don't know, quite know what I have in terms of listeners yet. Uh, each week it's kind of different and I'm seeing different results on the Podbean app and on the the Spotify app. But I haven't even looked at the fucking iTunes ones. I don't, uh, it's not that I don't care, it's just that with iTunes I only put it there because I know it's easier for people and it's wider reach and all that. But I don't, I don't fucking know anything about iTunes. Um, but yeah, it's been three weeks now where I've pretty much exclusively done big, huge, ambitious lists. And the episodes themselves are fucking really long. Um, which I don't mind. Like, I don't mind long episodes. It's just that it's a, it's a bit of an undertaking. But so far, I know a lot of people who have actually listened and enjoyed them. So I'm delighted with that. Thank you. But fucking hell, it's, it's actually exhausting to do. Um what what ended up being eight hours worth of fucking <laughs> talking about uh 120 movies which you think you could do that in fucking 20 minutes but uh seemingly not although that episode i did for my top 20 ended up being pretty much two episodes i pretty much did a regular episode and then just threw on the top 20 at the end which ended up taking up the length of time a normal episode would uh but for this i'm just going to talk uh i have a few things i want to talk about just that I've i've written down here and a few reviews I'm going to do as well. Just some new stuff I saw. Stuff I didn't get to see though. I was hoping to see Bad Boys. I've been talking about this pretty much since the fucking start of the podcast. That I wanted to see Bad Boys. And the day I went to see it. Maybe I mentioned this. I'm not sure. But the day I went to see it. The projector was fucked. And I wasn't shown at all that day. And I haven't been able to see it since. And then I was planning on going. This week and last week. And both times. Or last week. The, I think it was. One screen was on 10 in the morning. I was like, oh, I'll go to a later one. And now it's not on at all. So I assume it's finished in the cinema, which is a bit shit. At least in my cinema. I don't want to go to fucking Odin. Um, and the other is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I was hoping to go see, but I didn't get a chance to yet. Uh, I'll try fit it in during the week. Might be next week. Not sure when. Uh, very important week for cinema, though, because... Well, for two things. One, This actually is a good segue into two things I want to talk about. Um, I'll briefly mention... The first one, which is, I think about a week or two back, I mentioned that The Hunt actually has a release date now. Not the Thomas Vinterberg one, but the new Craig Zobel one that had loads of controversy last year and Donald Trump was speaking out against it and all kinds of shit. That's finally getting a cinema release. I said on the last episode, oh, in about two weeks' time, but I have a date now. It's March 11th, so this coming Wednesday. And I'm very annoyed to say that it's it's another situation that involves certificates. And that's what I'm partially going to branch off on. Because I wanted to talk about it anyway. And just more reasons why it's a, a flawed and illogical and shit system. Um, so the Hunt has received an 18 cert over here. And it is 15s in England. And it hurts my head. The logic behind it doesn't make sense. Because all that's going to do now is complicate the actual release on a physical format. Now I've noticed that there's certain films where when that's a case... Not all the time. Um, but when there's a two different certs for a movie, they actually just print one of them. They just print the UK one. They don't bother having it for the sake of the inconsistency. Like, I actually... One of the movies I watched, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, Million Dollar Baby. Um, that's 15s over here. Shouldn't be. And 12s in the UK. And it printed both certs on the box, which I just thought was unusual. It looks wrong next to each other. But what's happening now is you're going to have The Hunt released in the cinemas out of 15s in England, 18s here. And when it comes out on Blu-ray here, it's either going to have to decide what cert it's going to have or it's just going to have the UK one and an Irish sticker over it. And that is the case with another movie, which is I want to talk about. 
I was in Tesco the other day and I saw they had the Joker Blu-ray for sale. Uh, ship price and all that, but I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe they, they'd have it cheaper, I could probably get it there. And I had a look at it and I thought, did they put this sticker on themselves not knowing? Because I'd only ever seen the box in Golden Disc and it didn't have any Irish certificate on it. It only had the, the UK BBFC 15. But it now has an 18 cert on the Blu-ray. First of all, it doesn't fucking deserve an 18 cert. That's absolutely preposterous that it has one at all. But I looked at the IFCO's website, the Irish Film Centre's office, and it appears when resubmitting it for Blu-ray, they decided, actually, we're going to make this an 18th. How fucking stupid is that? Imagine you're 16. You absolutely adore the Joker. You love anything to do with the fucking Gotham universe or Batman or anything like that. And even though this is its own thing, it's different, whatever else, you're still excited. You go see this movie and you love it. Unsurprisingly, it's fucking great. But you love this movie. And then you think, okay, three months go by. I would love to fucking buy that movie now. And now, by law, you can't. Even though you've seen the movie, legally, in the cinema, it was presented to you at a certificate suitable for your age, now suddenly you can't see it. You have to wait another year and a half. Or potentially two years. How fucking dumb is that system? The fact that the cinema ratings and the the Blu-ray and home video ratings are different is so fucking dumb. It melts my head. I I can't even believe it. And now the same thing is going to happen with The Hunt. And actually, I remember, I was just thinking back there about two movies. Um, well, one's not really a movie. It's just a 45 minutes of Tom Green acting the bollocks. But th- I remember there was two situations where the certificates blew my mind. I could never understand it, and I still don't understand it. I should really actually look into this Tom Green one. But the first was a movie called The Cider House Rules. Actually, I, did I mention this? I've gone, I've gone on about certificates and ratings and censorship and all that shit so much now that I actually can't fucking remember what I've said should really re-listen to my own episodes, but that'll be indulgent, which is, well, clearly from the last six hours I've done of podcast, and yeah, it actually is the kind of thing I would do. But the Cider House Rules, I think it was a PG-13 America, might have even only been PG, and it was 12s in the UK. But over here, an 18 cert, and that's only because the plot line involves, I think it's an abortion clinic or like the first abortion somewhere where abortions happen i don't know if it was technically a clinic i think it's set like 60 years ago or more i don't know i I haven't seen the movie it's one i never got around to actually watching but i know it involves abortion and i'm fairly certain i think i remember even reading this somewhere that the irish censors because abortion was such a hot button topic which is how long ago was that movie i think it was like 98 or like the early 2000s it was a fucking long time ago that movie came out I think anything to do with abortion, they were just like, no, we can't We can't be shown to be promoting a movie like that to anyone under the age of 18. This is an adult subject and we don't want children hearing about it. And whatever, the typical kind of things they do when they're, when they're against abortion. But now that abortion has now been legal over here, I, are they, I wonder, are they going to re-release that movie with a 12 certificate? Are they going to see the error of their way of going, this is an, not an 18s movie at all. It actually doesn't fit the criteria of an 18s film in any way whatsoever. You had that other movie, which I haven't actually seen either, um, which I now guarantee I won't remember the name of. Oh, I don't remember what it is. I think it has something to do with days in it, or 14 weeks or days. Or, it has some name. I think it's a Romanian movie. It might have been up for best foreign film before. And it involves an abortion in that as well, but that got a 15 cert. So is that going to change now? It just it, it baffles me how they fucking do these things. But even just seeing that, just seeing a 12 movie with an 18 certificate stuck over it and thinking, okay, if that sticker's not on it, 
you can now sell me this movie even though I'm only 12. But if that sticker is on it, you can't. It's brainless. And it's they just need to fucking fix the certs. And the other one, the Tom Green one I mentioned, was this thing called Subway Monkey Hour. And it was I remember getting the DVD of this years ago because I used to be fucking mad into watching him being crazy as fuck. Mostly because of um, Road Trip, which was one of my favourite movies. It's actually still one of my favourite comedies. I haven't watched it in a long time now, but I've always had a soft spot for that. I liked that, that kind of late 90s, early 2000s teen comedy wave of stuff like American Pie and things like that um, which I, if they were made now they would be fucking torn apart because there's a lot of questionable shit in those movies but like back then it was just ah, it's a good laugh and now it's a fucking crime but um, with this Tom Green Subway Monkey or thing, I remember it was kind of daft some funny moments and he'd just gone around the streets of Japan wrecking people's heads and all kinds of shit it had an 18 cert in England, which for some reason, I think subconsciously, I always look at an 18 cert in England as the official rating. The British the British rating actually means more to me than the Irish one. The Irish one means absolutely nothing. Um, again, I think that's just from when I was a kid, looking at that old 18 cert, it always seemed so forbidden. And it's been in my head now as that's the, the be-all, end-all of certificates. This is the nerdiest shit ever, by the way. Anyone else listening to this must be thinking this is fucking bananas, but... Um, that Subway Monkey Hour had an 18th cert here, but it was 12s. Officially 12s over here. And I remember going, okay. And I went, I was kind of just chancing my arm because the 12 st- sticker was on it, even though the 18th sticker was there. And I remember going into Virgin at the time, before it was Zavi, and buying it. And they were kind of looking at me like, okay, we have to sell it to him. It has the Irish cert. Because they gave me a bollock before about that. When um, there was a 15th cert on it, but there was an Irish 18s on another movie. And they were like, oh, we can't say it. We have to go by the Irish cert. And I was kind of, Almost throwing it back in their face going up and buying this. But I watched it and there's nothing all that bad. There's no swearing or anything. But what? where's the logic in that? Why did I receive an 18 cert in England but a 12's here? How? And the fact that they, they share the disc. How can they fucking... Oh god I'm getting a headache. Actually it was a video I think I bought it on. But the, the idea that they have these different certificates from different countries. Yet they all share the one box. Is bananas to me. And the fact that they can... They've done it before, but the fact that they're upping the certificate of movies more often than not, if you see something that's 16s in a cinema, and when it comes out on Blu ray or DVD, it's usually 15s, it just goes back to whatever it was in the UK. It's rare enough that it jumps up to an 18s, and the fact that the Joker did is fucking preposterous. So, total fucking nonsense. The Hunt is going to suffer from that as well. Why that wasn't given a 16s, I don't know. I think something was that one ready or not similar as well. I think that got an 18s in England, but a 50 or 16s here. Which again makes a bit more sense. You can understand them pulling the rating back. You can understand them if the movie was a, a harsh 18s movie. But they're like oh we'll get a bit of a bigger crowd by making it 16. Fine. But this case with the Joker just seems like. Okay it's a bit tougher than a 15. Let's give it a 16. And probably when it goes to home video we'll give it a 15. No we're going to push it even further. And give it an 18 sir. Despite the fact. It was the biggest fucking movie last year probably. I actually can't even think what might have been bigger than that. Actually, uh, Endgame, now that I think about it. But one of the biggest movies of last year. Huge, colossal. All these fucking 16-year-olds saw. And now, legally, they cannot fucking buy that film. It is dumb, and it'll never make any fucking sense. And that's the last I'm going to say about it. I talk about certificates far, far too often. But um, the other important thing regarding the cinema this week is from the 13th. Friday the 13th, actually. Good, uh, eerie day for it to happen. But the David Lynch season is starting in the lighthouse. Now they had this a while ago. I think it was like 
two or three years ago. Actually, about three years ago, maybe. Maybe more. Actually, it could have been even more than that. Either way, they had a David Lynch season on, and I wanted to fucking see loads of stuff on it, but I didn't get a chance to. And I was very, very fucking disappointed. But now that it's coming back, I'm making it my mission to see almost everything on it. I watched Inland Empire too recently to want to see it again in the cinema. And I still, as much as I enjoyed it, I kind of... It's not one I can see myself revisiting anytime soon. At least not for a while. It's my least favourite of all those movies that I've seen so far. Um, although I still haven't seen Dune. I, I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I know there's an extended version, but I don't know if that ever made it to, to home video or anything. But I have a, a David Lynch box set. Uh, Indie Vision, I think, is the, the studio behind it. But it's... I don't know. I feel like they're not the best masters. It's a savage, lovely box set. but it, I, And it has loads of extras. All the short films and all that stuff. But it just... I feel like it could have been a better transfer of it and i know there's criterion versions of all the stuff coming out now or most of the stuff so i'd love to get my hands on those if they ever make it over here um but this kind of uh, segues into two other things i want to talk about a lot of branching and segueing going on in this episode um i'll start with the twin peaks thing uh because i was just talking to someone there on facebook about it because we're talking about this twin peaks season that's coming up or sorry the um David Lynch season is coming up and they're going to be showing Firewalk with me now I was really hoping that just as a nice treat they'd show uh, the infamous episode 8 of Twin Peaks The Return because I don't know you wouldn't really need to have actually seen any of the show to, to see it it's more just a total oral visual fucking attack nearly because of what's going on in it. I just think it'd be great to see on the big screen um, and I find it kind of funny now all the really really snobby uh fans of david lynch or twin peaks now uh, it's almost like they're poo-pooing the episode because people love it so much it's like oh all you care about is episode eight it's like yeah it was fucking amazing it was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen on tv and i can't believe it happened on tv yet people because everyone talks about it it's somehow lesser now and uh true twin peaks fans don't just have to talk about episode eight fuck right off episode eight is incredible the whole show is incredible but you can't just neglect that episode because you're too much of a dickhead up your own arse Anyway, that season is coming out and I was talking to someone about it and I was saying how they hadn't seen Firewalk With Me and I was saying I would recommend watching the extended fan edit. Now, the movie, when I first watched Firewalk With Me I kind of, I felt a bit underwhelmed. I was a bit like, because it's very confusing. Like for, for big fans of the show, this is almost, it goes against everything you're used to with the show. So it was very, it was already very lynching in that sense that he was just kind of going oh i'm gonna do something totally different and it was a lot more dark and intense because i mean the show's pretty dark anyway but of course it was not daytime tv but it was before the likes of hbo where you couldn't do certain things but it got away with a lot it really it changed tv forever really um but this movie just i remember watching and thinking this feels really messy somehow it feels like it's not really put together properly and it turned out it's because there's over 90 minutes. There's probably more, but there's over 90 minutes available of missing footage from the movie. And to me, a lot of that footage is so vital to the film that it's it's like that. the difference I made, or the comparison I made before between Batman vs Superman, the extended cut and the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut shouldn't have actually been allowed go to cinemas, as far as I'm concerned. It's that unfinished and that wrong. But that extended cut I thought was pretty good. There's obviously loads of problems with it. But like, as a fuller movie it makes way more sense. It's, it holds together much better. 
Firewalk at Me, the extended cut, is there's a fan edit, as I said, known as the Blue Rose edition. And this reinserts that 90 minutes worth of deleted scenes that comes with the Twin Peaks uh, collection box set. And it makes a... Comp- no, I can't say it has a cohesive narrative because it's Twin Peaks. And it's very all over the place. But it has a much fuller, denser, way better put together storyline. The deleted scenes just have so much character development. The entire David Bowie scene. Because that, that was a part in the original movie that I was like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about this. And then I watched it I was like, what the fuck just happened there? Like, it feels like that they... He had to leave immediately on set and they had to try to ride around it. It turns out... I think there was a longer version. There was trouble with it. Producers. All of the usual shite that happens with a fucking... An innovative, interesting director is doing something. They want to get their hands on it and go, Oh, let's make this as marketable to everyone as possible. And they just cuntify everything. This version has the full David Bowie scene intact. And it makes so much more sense to what's going on. It makes it so much more creepy. All of the... Like, the first hour of this... It's three and a half hours, by the way. This special edition that you can watch. And the first hour of the movie doesn't actually go into the world of Twin Peaks. Like, it takes an hour before it gets there. The normal version, I think, it takes about half an hour before it gets to Twin Peaks. But this is a full half hour of extra stuff leading up to that. Before it gets to the the, the whole Laura Palmer seven days stuff. And I just can't believe that that it wasn't released that way. I can't believe they haven't done an official release that way. Because to me, it is the definitive way. It went from being kind of disappointing still liked it like when i first saw that movie i loved it but i was like i still let down because of the difference between that and the show and it went from that sort of let down field to being a masterpiece like i think this extended version is the definitive version of the twin peaks movie and i'd love they did an official release but the reason i bring that up is not only because david lynch season and how i recommend it but the idea of fan edits now it's something i've wanted to toy with for a while because when i spoke last week or well a few days ago if you're the way you listen to this about my best films of the decade i mentioned mandy and how i would love to just edit in a song at a certain part there's a song from the soundtrack that isn't on it over a big silent part of the credits and i'd love to throw the song in there as well as slightly tweak one scene in it um when 300 came out they did the whole thing where during the fight scenes it would speed up and then go into slow motion several times and after that movie it happened a thousand times in every movie there's a moment like that in mandy it's literally a one second moment of the movie that i'd like to tweak just so that it doesn't go into slow motion because i think it it it, not cheapens it but it makes it just feel like a generic kind of thing which the movie isn't so but yeah i'd like to tweak that i'd like to tweak 30 days a night which i think i spoke about before um Maybe I didn't. The basic idea is there's a scene in it that would make a lot more sense if the characters didn't know what they were about to fight. And the fact they do know what they're about to fight, their decisions around that fight seem really fucking stupid. So I'd love to actually edit out them seeing what they're about to fight so that all their decisions seem more that they've like they've been caught off guard and it'd be a lot better. Another one is true romance and i remember finding oh no sorry i wanted to talk about just the general idea of fan edits i approve of them 100 percent. and there's a place called fanedit.org and i don't think they provide the actual links to these things you find a lot of these on reddit and i think the general um i suppose rule in their eyes is that if you own the movie already it's fine for you to download it and do whatever you want to it which i think is totally fine as well 
Um, because I mean, there's movies I have here. Like I have True Romance. I've had it several times, and I really want to just download a a really good quality Blu-ray of it and then re-edit it to Tarantino's original specifications. Because I know someone has done something similar with a really bad DVD of it, and they put in some of the deleted scenes. And it actually is a, it's a like a new movie because I remember listening to the the director's commentary for it, and he, or sorry, the as obviously a writer's commentary but he was on doing the commentary talking about how his original plot structure was totally non-linear and it actually sounded deadly i'd love to have a really high quality version of that that i can do myself but the whole fan edit community seems very strange because there's some people who have lot they really approve it there's other ones who are like we've made these but we're not releasing them and it's there's so much copyright stuff i think i think it's fair to release them i think it, it in a way should fall under fair use because i know steven soderbergh he released was it Indiana Jones? I know he did his own black and white uh, Fury Road before the black and chrome edition came out. He was releasing little things, edits he made himself on his website. And he took out all the, the dialogue. It was just music or the score from the movie and black and white footage. I never watched it. But he did that. And I think he did Indiana Jones as well. He did. He messed around with a few things. But he's released them on his site. And he seems to have gotten away with it. I'd like if there was a nice definitive hub for... Um, fan edits to go up there because i love like that blue rose version of twin peaks as i said i own it so i think it's fair that i can download it if i fucking want because i want that version of it that is a fan edit it, it's like a remix i would love that to be more widely available even if you don't sell it just give people the file i want that to be way more available and they did the same with kill bill as well they used the japanese version and made the full uncut four-hour kill bill with none of the black and white shite that happens during the hesley or is it hesley's fight scene whatever it is but an interesting version of a fan edit is one done by the director himself now i watched a few films during the week i'll, I'll talk about them now actually one of them is one from paul schrader who he's had a weird one because he like these times where he's phenomenal and there's times where i'm not too sure but like i think in general he has a lot of creativity behind him and i i generally trust his work even though if some of his later stuff isn't as strong Although First Reformed obviously was fucking amazing. And that's now on Netflix if you haven't seen it. So if you want a really grim, dark, slow burn, heavy, I mean ultra heavy drama about the struggles of faith and life and all this kind of shit. With Ethan Hawke in it. It's an amazing movie but it's just, you won't be fucking dancing after it, I'll tell you that much. But yeah, there's a movie he made which he actually was nominated for an Oscar. I know it won an Oscar. Actually, I think Paul Schrader was up... No, was he up for an Oscar? Maybe he was. But this is a movie from 1997 called Affliction. And Nick Nolte's in it. He was up for an Oscar. He didn't win it. And James Coburn was up for an Oscar. And he did win it. So he got the Oscar for that year for Best Supporting Actor. And it's just a really fucking dour, miserable fucking... I suppose detective mystery story. And story about alcohol abuse and abusive parents and all this kind of shit and it's one of the bleakest movies i've watched in a long time <laughs> it's just it's rough it's really good really well acted just unpredictable great cast like i said nick nolte james coburn you have sissy spacek and of course the legendary willem dafoe who's worked with boss Raider for years now but i'm only briefly talking about this because i watched it recently but it made me just go into his back catalog catalogue again because there's a whole load of shit there that i've wanted to see for years for instance american gigolo cat people autofocus blue collar and light sleeper like they're all movies of his that i've been meaning to watch for years and years and years and i haven't gotten around to yet so i am going to make it my mission to watch a lot of them 
well, whatever way they're available by the end of this year. But the reason I bring this up is he had a movie out a few years ago, 2014. And I remember when this came out thinking, this could be good, it's Paul Schrader. And I think, pretty sure Nicholas Winding Refn produced this. Or he at least was involved with it in some way. And it stars, of course, legendary Oscar winning actor, Mr. Nicholas Cage. And also Anton Yelchin. Now, I didn't know much about it. I just knew Nicolas Cage was in it. It was a kind of spy thriller of sorts. It was meant to be really dark. And I think his character in it is suffering from some sort of illness or dementia. Or something. Like, there's something wrong with him throughout the movie that he's gradually deteriorating as the story goes on. Had heard it was absolute shit. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking shame. I mean, a lot of good people behind this. That should have been great. Then I read what happened. And apparently, when Paul Schrader made the movie, in typical Paul Schrader fashion, because he's very against the grain in terms of what people want to fucking do, like he will always go his own way, one of the maverick directors of the time, he came up with this story and put it together in such a way that the studio were like, no, we want to make this a traditional action thriller spy thing. So we're going to, I think they reshot some extra stuff and they changed the whole ending and they re-edited the movie and really amplified the whole, oh, he's he's getting sicker kind of stuff just to, make it more of a, a thriller kind of ticking clock element all that kind of shit totally changed the whole thing around Paul Schrader Nicolas Cage Anton Yelchin and Nicholas Winding Refn all put out a big campaign saying don't see this fucking movie this movie was stolen from Paul Schrader and re-edited and turned into something shite we renounced this movie we don't want anything to do with it and I think actually I think maybe briefly before that or just after I can't remember which but Paul Schrader said here look the movie's released now, it's a fucking bomb, can I do my own version of it and give me all the fucking files you have and let me do it? And they said, no, they said, no, we're not going to do it, we're just going to, I think they sold it to another studio, it got distributed under this Dying of the Light title, and that was it. But Paul Schrader, seemingly himself, in 2017, now I only heard about this literally after watching Affliction, this is on YouTube, but it's a movie called Dark, and I think it's about 20 minutes cut out of it, but it's... Paul Schrader, because they wouldn't give him the official files, I think he bought several DVDs and he might have had some of his own footage or whatever. He has compiled his own new movie. He doesn't call it a director's cut because he doesn't want to even really associate it with Dying of the Light. This is his own new movie called Dark, which is assembled from the studio version and modified to his as close as possible to his original vision of Dying of the Light. And... I haven't watched it yet. I'm only bringing it up because I started talking about fan edits. It's something I wanted to talk about for a while anyway. Uh, particularly the Twin Peaks one. But this is a perfect opportunity. To, because this is an example of a fan edit. Like this is the, the magic of those things. There's been fan edits of Star Wars as well. They're called the despecialized editions. Where they're brought back to what they looked like back in the 70s. Rather than all the shite George Lucas threw on top of it. So I think these things should be more available. I think they're... I, I'm not sure what the the legal side of it is or the copyright like i said i think once you own the thing you should be allowed to do whatever the fuck you want with it if i buy a blu-ray or something i should be allowed re-edit that and make whatever the fuck i want out of it once i'm not getting any financial gain like if you're just making that fine if you want to put it up on your site fine i mean it, then again they're probably going to use it as an example of well someone who might not have the movie could download it and they're technically getting a movie and whatever else but it's still it's not the official thing it's a re-edit it's a change it's just I don't know, I think that I think there should be more fan edits more widely available because there's some brilliant stuff people are doing with them. They're tweaking things 
in the right way not necessarily getting a director's original vision and fucking around it i mean obviously like i said i want to do something similar with 30 days a night and mandy but things like this movies that have been stolen from directors and re-edited to be something else or movies that have had like if, if you get a good enough special edition we'll have all the deleted scenes or alternate endings or any of that shit movies that are reinstating that stuff and making their own official versions of the original vision all that kind of stuff i think that there should be more attention given to this stuff and it should be more available i know there's a few threads on reddit about actually doing these fan edits and how to do them how to rip movies all this kind of stuff i'd actually love to investigate it further and do some of my own editions of stuff or like fix up some stuff that i think could do with some fixing up again off the top of my head i'm not going to think of any but there's some movies that i think have amazing deleted scenes like natural born killers i'd love to see all those deleted scenes put back in i think they're great although the ashley judd deleted scene as fucking amazing as a scene it is it doesn't make sense with the movie and that's unfortunate because it's such a good scene but the the whole well i don't want to say too much because i don't want to actually ruin that film i love natural born killers by the way go watch that and make sure it's a director's cut because it shits all over the theatrical cut but yeah i just thought it was interesting that he he got to fix up his own movie and has a, a release of it he has it up on youtube and hasn't been taken down yet i don't know what way the, the copyright works for it maybe it falls under fair use i think um but that's a gray area too you see all this shit happen with people like that fucking the guy h3h3 he had this big issue where he was using footage while doing a commentary video and he was getting sued for it and he won the case thankfully but the whole uh what's the word fair use thing is a bit fucking messy but if they could fix that and they could have proper versions of these movies come out it'd be amazing so yeah fan edits i approve them i fully recommend you see the fan edit of twin peaks uh the kill bill whole bloody affair fan edit is cool although i think hopefully they're going to release a proper version of that soon because tarantino seems to be embracing the streaming platforms and being able to release his director's cuts and all this kind of shit if he does all this definitive stuff and maybe special editions i'll fucking die like in a joyful way um and of course check out dark on youtube just look up dark paul schrader and you'll find it there because i i actually intentionally avoided dying of the light once i heard about all the bollocks that went down with it and now i have a chance to finally see what could be the original vision although part of me does now want to see the original just so i can compare the two um but i don't know i think i maybe they i think i might have got sent a copy of that i don't remember now i must look around but yeah that's uh that's my thoughts on fan edits go watch some of the good ones if you can make good fan edits i think do it. i think you should be allowed to do it and i think there should be a place where they can be released like the despecialized star wars that's all i'm saying and yeah i'm just gonna end up repeating myself. this just keeps happening I, i'm trailing off here so i'm gonna just move on to some of the news well actually no there's a, a, a few things i want to talk about because we, we were talking recently on facebook i'm in a few film groups and the whole idea of art and artist separation came up and this is because roman polanski won an, i think he won the award at some festival in france or some award show he won best director now i actually don't know what his latest movie is i didn't even know he was still doing anything last thing i heard him doing was was it the ghost writer which might have been like 10 years ago or something but in general like now the whole polanski thing i didn't even hear about until a few years ago and it was kind of funny because the amount of people making excuses for him i thought was outrageous because here's the thing right there's there's two sides to this whole thing i think 
you should be allowed watch and enjoy whatever movie you fucking want even if it was made by horrible cunts like him i don't want to give him money i'm not going to give him money but i'm not i mean like there's, there's a kind of protest people do where like when they hear about someone who's a piece of shit like he is they just get rid of it and they they burn their copies of his movies whatever it's like i'm not going to give up watching chinatown because he's a fucking pedo like he's a scumbag i don't think anyone should be hiring him anymore that that baffles me as well as so people are still hiring polanski and same with that other guy yeah fucking i always forget his name he did jeepers creepers i only fucking mentioned him there the other day um victor silva victor salva he uh he's a, one of the worst fucking scumbags ever yet he still is out there making movies and that's that's what i don't understand see these award shows as far as i'm concerned should only be looking at the movie so if polanski's recent movie won the best film it's probably because it was the best film though i don't see why anyone is letting him make movies this is the problem the movie itself could be fantastic he's a piece of shit and i just don't get why he still has a career i mean kevin spacey will probably never work again and deservedly so fuck him but i'm still gonna watch swimming with sharks and the usual suspects and whatever else he's in that i think is fucking amazing because he's still an amazing actor because i think you have to be able to separate the art and the artist because otherwise you're not actually going to like most of the art you do like think of all the movies and actually think of the music the music elvis was fucking 14 year olds david bowie is fucking 14 and 13 year olds the rolling stones got up to some absolutely atrocious fucking shit back in the 70s back when it was just like ah it's just rock and roll it's all fun like now they got to some fucked up shit but i still love their music and they tend to get a free pass from a lot of people because of that but if you think about it they all do all this shit and it's fucked up but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that their art isn't amazing i don't have to care for them i don't like fuck, i don't give a fuck what mcjagger does i think he's a piece of shit ron polanski's a piece of shit but if he makes good movies then fine but i don't see why he's still able to make movies who's giving him these opportunities who's saying who's giving victor salva fucking oh let's make a jeepers creepers tree who wants to be on set with that fucking chap like i i don't understand that i think that's the real issue i think people seeing a new polanski film and thinking it's amazing and saying this is a fucking amazing film they're not bad people i think people still enjoying ron polanski's movies they're not bad people if he makes a good film he makes a good film that's just the way it is i just don't see why people are letting him fucking make movies or why they're working with him that's actually more the the question and here's a disappointment i actually meant to mention this when i was talking about my top 20 of 2019 the actor now i'm not gonna remember his fucking name so i'm gonna quickly look him up ah shite here i am trying to fucking type with one hand on indb and i've opened up a fucking the wrong video altogether but he's in ferris bueller's day off and uh, the reason i wanted to mention him last week or two weeks ago is because he's also in deadwood now i only found this out a few years ago what's his name jeffrey jones he played the principal in ferris bueller's day off an iconic 80s movie villain at this stage he's hilarious in it and i always enjoyed watching him in movies and i think the last movie i saw before i heard about this was ravenous which he's great in as well it's a really fucking amazing movie that needs a proper release over here i had heard after that that he was arrested or at least being investigated for having child porn on his computer and 
after that, obviously, he said, oh, I was researching a role. It's always, it's usually anyone who's in the entertainment industry is always doing some sort of research. Like, yeah, I can, I'm pretty sure fucking any actor who's played a pedophile in a movie doesn't have to go researching the actual shit to fucking play a character. You're an actor. You don't need to become this for the fucking role. Yet they always come up with this excuse. It's ridiculous. Um, but he did that and then obviously shunned. No one wanted to work on him again. But he was in Deadwood about three or four years later. And he is... I hate how much of a good character he is in it. Because like, this was at a time where I think people weren't even sure they wanted to work with him on Deadwood. I I hate how good he is in it. Because I can't... Now that, because at this stage when Deadwood came out no one fucking knew. Or at least I didn't know. Like That's what he was like. But I can't see anyone else in that role. He's so fucking good in that role. It's just disappointing that he's still able to get work. Now the Deadwood movie came out and he's in that as well. And I'm thinking, I mean, he doesn't, I think he has fucking virtually no dialogue in it. They wanted to give him as little time as possible just that he's still there. I'd have fucking killed him off probably. Just being like, yeah, I don't actually want to work with him. I just find it hard to understand why people will work with these people. How someone saw, oh, Victor Sava is doing another Jeepers Creepers movie. I would like to be a part of that. I'd like to be on a production with a guy who fucking raped children and make movies with him and consider him my boss. It's like, I, this is, that's the real problem. The problem is that these people are still working. The likes of Harvey Weinstein, the movies he produced are fucking fantastic. He's produced loads of great ones. And thankfully, he'll never produce another fucking movie again. He's a piece of dog shit. But that doesn't mean I'm going to just not watch any Miramax films now. I think you have to be able to separate these things. Otherwise, virtually all art is going to suffer in some way. I think Jeffrey Jones doesn't deserve another fucking day of work in his life. He may have been fantastic in Deadwood, but he's a pedophile. Fuck him. Kevin Spacey? I don't know what's going to happen with him. There's all kinds of fucking mad shit going on with him with all his weird, cryptic, somewhat threatening fucking messages that he puts out every Christmas. So far, though, he hasn't worked since, and he doesn't deserve to work again. He's fantastic and everything leading up to that point. But he's a scumbag. Don't give him any more work. And who else is I talking about? Polanski. Polanski can make fantastic movies all he wants. I never saw The Ghost Rider. I heard it's really good. Every Polanski film I've seen so far I thought has been fantastic. But he doesn't deserve to make any more. He doesn't deserve to have people working with him. If you're a fucking paedophile you don't deserve any attention or any work. He won that award. I think I don't know whether he actually even collected it. I can't, I'm not sure if he did. Because I know he fucking fled America. Which there. That says it all. And here's actually. This is another thing. The, the thing I meant to say before. Was the, the funny response people had. Is the amount of people actually defending him. They weren't saying. Essentially what I'm saying. Which is. I believe you should separate art and artist. The guy's a piece of garbage. Don't give him any more work. But. I'm still going to watch Chinatown. Simple as that. And I think that's fine. If people don't want to do it. That's, that's their problem they, they can do whatever they want i'm not going to tell them they shouldn't do that i'm not going to say that they should it's not up to me it's not up to them i just want to see fucking good movies but these people were almost so against the idea it's like this is the thing as well i hate when people i hate political correctness but i hate when people try to use being complete garbage as an excuse for oh you're just being politically correct it's like no there's people out there who are defending him to the point of saying that he actually did nothing wrong. Not that they still want to watch his movies because they enjoy movies. They're defending him as a person. It's like, no, the guy's a fucking scumbag. The uh, the amount of people that have made fools of themselves in these movie groups, and they've actually alienated people. I know some people who've left the group because they're like, I actually don't want to be in groups with these fucking cunts. And I'm not really surprised. 
because these people aren't separating art from the artist they're just trying to separate the guilt from them and trying to make them it's, it's like they refuse to believe it in some way and it it totally fucking baffles me so I think people who defend the likes of Kevin Spacey, who defend the likes of Harvey Weinstein, who defend the likes of fucking Jeffrey Jones and defend the likes of Ron Polanski are fucking idiots. And I think you can still enjoy their work and think that these people are the scum of the earth and don't deserve another day in the limelight. But it seems that people out there think that you're just as bad for enjoying these movies than the people who are defending them. And if you think that, I think you're a fucking idiot. Separate the art from the artist. Otherwise, throw out all your David Bowie albums. Throw out all your fucking Elvis records. Throw out Ferris Bueller's Day Off, your childhood favourite movie. Get rid of it. No one's going to do that. Because these things are still important. They're still great pieces of art. It's just unfortunate that the people who have provided you them are scum. And that's just the way it is. And here's the good thing about it though. All this shit is coming out now. It's all coming out now. All this Me Too stuff. All the fucking... The Kevin Spacey's, the Harvey Weinstein's, all that shit that went down. And now, actually, this is a good segue. This is a bit of a bleak. <laughs> this is a bit of a bleak episode so far where I've just talked about miserable fucking movies and now I'm talking about just the most horrendous shit that goes on in Hollywood and the, the industry. But Corey Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman, who has had a bit of a rocky career. I mean, obviously, he was a. The, the teen or the, the child actor from the 80s who everyone loves he's always great he's in the Goonies he's in fucking Ferris Peter's Day Off or not Ferris Peter's Day Off what's it called The Lost Boys and Stand By Me and all kinds of shit made a name for himself him and the other Corey the two Corys had this whole career they were molested back in the 80s and there was always questions about who did it and whatever happened and only recently he said I'm gonna reveal who did it but I'm gonna make a movie about it and I thought oh for fuck's sake like, because there's, there's the whole idea of, well, him not saying that means that person is still getting away free for a few years and could be doing whatever the fuck they want. Because he said it's a huge person within Hollywood. A lot of, uh, I'm not even going to give examples of who people think it might be because I don't, I don't want a record of me saying stupid things like that. But a lot of people had some ideas in their head of who they could be. Some of them would be the most soul-destroying and heartbreaking thing ever if it was them. But, I mean, I'd rather know because whoever it is doesn't deserve to fucking get away scot-free with this but it turns out he actually made a documentary i thought he was making a narrative film about it but he's making a documentary about it and he's the way he's releasing it is quite smart it seems to be a live stream event that i think actually it could be is it this week or next week could be april i'm not sure i know it's pretty soon though and he's gonna have it live stream broadcast worldwide just so that it can't be released and then altered and fucked around with you're getting the official exact version from him directly to you i don't know what way it's going to work after that is it going to be available to stream places or what i think it might just be a once-off kind of thing but i really hope i hope it's not years of this build up for nothing i hope at the end of it he says here's exactly who did it here's when here's the proof because apparently himself and Corey aim had some what's the word agreement or like pact or something it's like if one of them died the other one would tell all about what happened and Corey Haim obviously died how many years ago now maybe like five years ago could be more uh, I think it was a drug overdose or something and might have been linked to suicide I can't remember I just remember there was a lot of speculation on this but obviously now Corey Feldman said right it's now my time to tell our story because they've had by the sounds by the little detail I already know about it they've had a terrible time 
And if this can expose more of these fucking people, then two big thumbs up from me. These people need to be exposed. But if it is a certain director, which I fucking hope it isn't, then I'd be very disappointed. And it might it might even sour some of those movies that I've loved so much. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to watch them anymore. It just means that they won't receive any further support. And actually, some people do do that as well. The likes of Polanski, I think it's up until the year... What was it the, the way they said? Like, up until the year this thing happened, they're not going to support anything they do after that. In terms of... If they love the movie, if, for instance, if you like the Ghost Rider or whatever the fucking movie he did that this year or last year, if you buy it in like a second-hand shop, that kind of makes you feel a bit less guilty about owning it because you could love the movie, you could love the art form, you just don't want to directly be giving that cunt any money. And that's fair. So, my point of this is, <laughs> what a bleak turn in the middle of this podcast, but we'll get on to more exciting, nicer topics in a few minutes. My point is, separate art from the artist understand though that's the important part be aware of who these people are be aware of what actually went on don't just blind yourself to it and don't just defend it because you like the movie i fucking love chinatown but i'll never defend roman polanski for the shit he fucking did and that's just the way it is (laughs) so separate art from artists enjoy the art if you don't have to don't enjoy the people you don't have to like everyone some people are fucking dirtbags like them hashtag kill all the pedos so there you go now on to something that's actually not based on the most horrendous bleak fucking shit ever that goes on in hollywood um i spoke a few weeks ago about how i've just constantly constantly changed my rating system around how i've gone from using stars to using numbers from like going from one to ten i tried a percentage at one stage when i was writing for that's not current they had a sort of percentage rating at the end and depending on what ratings I gave certain things, it could be like, oh, this is 4.6 out of 5 or 75% or whatever the fuck. So I've tried different things. I wanted to go with that traffic light system, which, again, I just keep finding flaws with, even though I like it. I like the idea of just a, like a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. But I think there's there's too much to cover with those things. Um, there's too many little details. But I've co- I, like I, I mentioned recently I'd like to have a certain criteria. And I feel like I've found that. So when I was saying before how I like one out of five or using the five star system, it just feels the neatest and the nicest and whatever else. I need a criteria to go with it. I need it to make sense that way because otherwise I'm just going to be hemming and hawing over why this is a four or five star. So all it has to do is fit this criteria. I've put it on my letterbox website and I'm going to read it to you now. Just so it makes a bit of sense as to why I've returned to the five star. So I think with this criteria attached to it it's going to make things a lot easier so five stars will be considered a masterpiece which is a word i use a lot and i'll say that it's perfect or near perfect entirely enjoyable little to no real flaws and an all-time favorite consider it a must-see so if i get something five stars it just means something that's an absolute must-see four star rating is great and that is an excellent film really enjoyable all the way through brilliantly made but not perfect so like one of the ones I'm going to mention in a few minutes, Dark Water. Perfect example of a four-star movie. It's great all the way through. I can't really see any real flaw with it, but it's just not perfect. It's not my... I wouldn't consider it a masterpiece. It is excellent, though, and it's highly recommended. So highly recommended is what will be at the end of that. A three-star is a good film. So it'll be very entertaining and enjoyable, worth watching. It could be solid, well-made, but has flaws. It's not amazing, and it's still recommended. So 
a lot of stuff can fit into that category but i kind of want to reclaim the three star i don't like that the three star rating is considered bad so if you see a three star rating and i give it to it it means it's a good film and worth watching that's as clear as day there in my little criteria then a two star is not great so this is an underwhelming film it's not very well made it's not the worst might have its moments uh, but it's not really worth watching wouldn't recommend it and then of course one star is terrible which means it's not worth watching at all terribly made almost completely unenjoyable and very little to no redeeming features avoided at all costs there's a few films like that i've i've if you see my letterbox you see i've given a lot of things one star ratings some stuff though because i fucked around my criteria so much it wouldn't actually fit that anymore like one i gave i think i actually talked about this on a different episode a movie called stone cold this action movie that when i watched it i was just such, it just really didn't work for me at all and i was pissed off thinking about it and i gave it a one star but when i think back to it it'd probably be two stars and i'd say if i watched it again it could even be three because <laughs> i it might have just been the mood i was in i was expecting something different but it just really didn't work for me um and that's why i like to give films another chance i think a lot of films deserve a second try there's some films i know don't because it, the thing with stone call was a few days later i was thinking about was i too harsh on that when i start having those thoughts then i know that the movie might not be as bad or as good as i thought again another one is 1917 which i've talked about before several times there, nearly every episode because i loved it it's not a it's it's one of the most enjoyable cinema experiences i've ever had but it's not a masterpiece there's things about it i don't like that took off me to to realize i didn't like as much even though i still think the film is great so there are films that maybe thinking back and i'm like well it wasn't quite one star it wasn't quite the most terrible thing i've ever seen but it's still shite so there's a few films like that um but i think now i've, I've found the right criteria i'm watching movies i'm not really thinking about what i'm going to rate it i'm not sitting there going oh, would this be a four or five i'm just at the end of it going that wasn't a masterpiece so it is a four i really enjoyed it and it 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 each star rating now kind of has like five little things that it kind of has to tick to kind of fit into that box and i'm not even sitting there thinking about oh would that be this or would that be that it's a lot more natural i feel much more comfortable with this rating system and i don't think i'm going to get trapped the way i have been before where i'm stuck thinking well should i give it this or should i give it that so i think i might have finally solved my rating system problem so two big thumbs up there and with my mention of rating systems and the problem now being somewhat solved i'm going to talk about a few movies before i finish up because i want to finish this a bit earlier before i have a few things i want to talk about over the next few episodes anyway that i'll, I'll save for then uh the likes of dvds paid reviews which are something i very much disagree with and uh, a blu-ray distribution company that didn't really go anywhere after doing one outstanding release so i'll talk about that probably next week but for now actually i'm going to briefly talk about hunters uh that series that i mentioned a few weeks ago the al pacino one about a, a group of jews who get together in new york in the 70s and decide they're going to hunt down the remaining nazis that have fled to america following world war ii the first episode was excellent really serious really tense really well made really smart and it looked great too and then I, I remember mentioning that the second episode felt a bit, I don't know, felt a bit sillier, which it was. Uh, I've now finished the series and overall it's really fucking stupid. I think there's some very good ideas, it's very entertaining all the way through, undeniably. But it's it it gets weaker and weaker narratively while the acting and some of the action and stuff like that is fun. And actually a lot of uh, Jewish people have come out against it purely because 
some of the depictions of the Holocaust are near exploitation movie level stuff where it just seems so far-fetched and stupid that it almost gives ammunition to Holocaust deniers because it's, it's almost like they're trying to push this as oh this is the kind of shit that went on when it's like no look it was bad but this is like from a fucking comic book it's so stupid and that's true there's some moments of like the concentration camp stuff that is horrifying and some moments I'm sitting there going this seems cartoonishly over the top and that's a lot of the stuff that people are talking about one moment involving a human chessboard kind of thing which when I saw that scene I was like okay that's bit stupid and then a lot of holocaust uh, studiers what are they i can't think of the word for it but they all said yeah nothing like that went on that's just fucking stupid so there has been backlash against it for its stupidity and it's totally understandable there's moments in it where i'm like that was stupid there's narrative stuff where i'm like that makes no fucking sense it's just a weird one. Like, it's one that I did enjoy all the way through, though. There's enough there that I like it. I like stuff set in New York. I like the 70s New York. I like Al Pacino. I like some of the scenes. The dialogue is smart and quippy when it needs to be. It's just weird. It's it's just really flawed. It's like they, they came up with these really great ideas and poorly strung them together. So there, there's goodness in that show, undeniably, but it, uh, it's certainly not a masterpiece. And if I was to rate that, Actually, no, I promised I'd never do ratings on this show, so... Although it is a series, uh, so yeah, that's a 3 out of 5 <laughs> for the first series. But movies, I said I wouldn't do ratings on this show. I think it's just... I'd rather people just listen to it. And if you want to see my ratings, you can look at the Facebook I haven't updated in ages, the Instagram I haven't updated in ages, and the letterbox that I have sort of updated. So that's where I keep all my score ratings. But yeah, Hunters, it's worth a look. It's on Amazon Prime. It's not essential TV. What is essential TV is Better Call Saul and The Outsider. The Outsider has its final episode tonight. And I can't fucking wait for it. It's just riveting fucking TV. There was one moment halfway through the series I was a bit like, eh. But, I mean, contextually with the show, it works great. And I've enjoyed everything they've done with it so far. It looks amazing. It's gritty, intense. And, like I said, all I need to say is this: it's True Detective directed by Stephen King. Or written by Stephen King. That's all the information you need. That's all that will sell me on it. So, outside of where we're watching. And Better Call Saul is just, I mentioned before, I think people who don't like it actually are some level of fucking stu- stupid. Uh, of course, I'd fuck up the word stupid there, which makes me in turn sound fucking stupid. But no, Better Call Saul is just perfect. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. And everyone needs to fucking watch it. Uh, I didn't get to finish that other one, though. I'm not okay with this. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, the first episode didn't really grab me, but I will finish it. It's only like two hours long, the whole thing's They're split up into fucking 17 to 20 minute episodes. So I will get through it, but it's just, I, haven't, I haven't been compelled to continue with it. But we're going to talk about some new releases and some old releases. Although, actually, I kind of want to talk about a, a Category 3 Hong Kong movie. I, I, I think I mentioned Category 3 when I was talking about the NC-17 rating and all that and how that's the, the hardest rating in uh, China or Hong Kong. Now, there's a movie called Ebola Syndrome, and it just, with all the coronavirus shit that's going on now, it just feels like it would be a fun watch for people to watch, because some of the stuff that goes on in it is just so over-the-top and crazy, and it's all about the spread of Ebola. <laughs> I just think, uh, if you want to just sit back and be shocked and have a bit of a laugh about all this horrendous shit that's going on in the world, that's a good place to start, although it is a fucking rough movie <laughs> as well. It's a weird one to recommend, but it's... Uh, I mean, it's not often you see a guy running around the streets spitting Ebola blood in strangers' faces just to spread it further. That's uh, that's crazy early 90s Hong Kong cinema for you. 
or mid 90s that was but um yeah we're going to move on to some of the new release movies that i saw actually i'll briefly talk about some of the the older shit that i got to watch um just during the week because i i mentioned million dollar baby earlier i had not seen it because not long after it came out i had always wanted to see it i love boxing movies i've Clint Eastwood obviously is amazing and then it won several Oscars and all that so I was on board to see it and then I had the ending kind of ruined for me and that just put me off ever wanting to bother my arse sitting through it even though like that's a, not really a fair thing to do I've had endings ruined before and I watch things and they always end up great and this ended up fucking fantastic bleak and everything but like it's just ugh, I hate knowing where things are going to go and this is definitely an unconventional boxing movie and really really enjoyed it but just knowing that beforehand it soured the experience a little bit i think if i did know that i think this is a masterpiece but as it happens it ended up just being really 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 good and it's I mean, still like i said it's a fantastic film it's just that when you know certain things about it, it it kills it and i watched another unconventional boxing movie this week which was fucking superb i thought called undisputed uh walter hill directed it and it kind of set off a chain of sequels that got more progressively more and more popular as they came out and i thought that was really surprising michael jai white and uh god what's his name now scott adkins got really popular because of those movies but this one is a prison boxing movie starring wesley snipes and ving rames and ving rames is essentially a mike tyson character who gets sent to prison for a rape charge so they obviously i think i'm not sure when that whole thing happened with tyson but it's he's essentially playing that character where it's kind of up in the air whether he did or didn't do it and he's a championship boxer he's completely undefeated outside the ring or in the ring and wesley snipes is someone who's been in prison for 10 years on a murder charge who in the prison boxing system has never been beaten so it's all about them being pitted together in a prison boxing match and it's totally unconventional and really smart what they did because wesley snipes said I don't want you to have any scenes of my character being a good person. And being Ray's character is a piece of shit in this movie too. So you have two characters that are bad. There's no unnecessary... We have to give them this backstory to make them good characters and make you root for one of them. The whole movie you're like, well I don't actually know who I want to win. Like Ving Rhames, you kind of want to win in a way. Wesley Snipes you want to win. But you're not sure which. They're both kind of pieces of shit. <laughs> and I think that works really fucking well. And the actual boxing scenes in it are amazing. Really well done. Has that same sort of feeling that uh, Raging Bull had. Where it's really meaty, horrible punch sound effects. Looks really real. Like Rocky was really realistic. And obviously it had real contact in some fights. But it's more exciting. With Raging Bull and this it's real just kind of ugly and gritty. And there's no score at all during the boxing match. It's just really in the moment serious boxing scenes it's just really fucking great how they do it good characters well good characters in the sense that they're interesting to watch but they're not good people and just really well fucking made like Walter Hill's great so Undisputed was fucking fantastic Million Dollar Baby is like I said as well also fantastic there's two unconventional boxing movies where we're watching you also or not you also I also watched a comedy movie because after I watched Affliction the other night it was just so bleak I was like I need something fucking I need a laugh now to fucking just <laughs> clear myself of that and i ended up watching one that i'd been to see for years i had it in my netflix watch list for years and it's a rodney dangerfield movie called easy money now rodney dangerfield is a weird one I, I have a lot of respect for him because he's clearly very funny but i think you can see why he can get annoying for people in this though he's kind of just playing a like here's the problem with this movie actually funnily enough jeffrey jones is in this as well playing a bit of a villain so that was kind of his thing in the 80s 
this movie follows Ronnie Dangerfield. He's just a fucking gambler, womanizer. Well, not even a womanizer. He just goes to strip clubs. He's just a sleazeball. Gambles all his money away. Smokes, drinks, or does all kinds of shit. And his mother-in-law is a snooty, rich woman who owns a department store. And she dies and decides, I'm going to leave $10 million to my daughter and her family if her husband, Ronnie Dangerfield, can clean himself up in a year. So no drinking, no drugs, no shitty food. He has to lose weight and he has to stop going to strip clubs and living a bad life. He has to basically become a respectable member of society in her sort of... uh, aristocratic ways I don't know what the word are they, or her eyes let's say um, and the whole movie is just about him trying to do that but he obviously has his two best mates are Joe Pesci and Tom Noonan and they're both kind of they drink and they play cards and do whatever else and he has to try get his life back on track his nephew or his brother-in-law is Jeffrey Jones and he wants the fortune for himself so he's trying to sabotage that for him but the movie doesn't really get into that enough i think it doesn't it doesn't that's not really a factor for most of this movie it all kind of goes grand and like there's not really much stopping them you think this kind of plot line would come in 10 minutes into the movie and jeffrey jones has spent the whole movie trying to fuck him over but most of the movie they don't really even talk to him it's just more about him trying to get his life on track so plot wise it's not great there's a whole side story with his daughter played by jennifer jason lee who is just after getting married and it's about her relationship on the rocks and it's kind of not great but the thing about Ronnie Dangerfield he is fucking side-splittingly funny in this nearly every response he had had me belly laughing there's some really hilarious moments so as a comedy there's really fucking brilliant stuff in it it's just a shitty story it's just something they could have done a lot better with and I mean I enjoyed it overall but I just by the time it ended I was just kind of like that's a bit fucking naff so it's worth watching. It's on Netflix. It's mostly just for Rodney Dangerfield's comebacks. I haven't watched Back to School, which is another one he made, and apparently that's even funnier. So if the comedy's on the same level, then great. I'm all fucking for that. I just hope the plot is a bit stronger than that. But it's also fun seeing Joe Pesci not playing Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci not playing a uh, typical gangster character. He's just a fucking loudmouth Italian guy in this movie, and it's just good fun. So easy money's worth to watch. But the new movies I saw, one of them is half new. I'm going to say because this came out around Christmas time and I got the Blu-ray then but I hadn't watched it yet. Got the Blu-ray from Lazy Dad Gentleman Joe O'Donoghue who he happened to get a second copy of it. And this is a four and a half hour documentary on horror movies called In Search of Darkness. And or I should say 80s horror movies that it's talking about. Specifically 80s horror which I thought was really cool. Uh... I think it's the same producers or the same lads who backed the In Search of the Last Action Heroes movie, which was an action movie documentary, which was supposed to just be the 80s, but it kind of talks about the more so about the 90s for a lot of it, and it has no real structure. It just feels like a two-hour YouTube video. Really enjoyed it still, because, I mean, I, I like looking at nostalgic action and all that kind of stuff, but it just didn't feel as uh, narratively strong. This one, though, is set up into several chapters. It goes by the decade, which it talks about several movies from each decade that were impactful on the horror genre, and it talks about all the different aspects of 80s horror, which made it the important cult... Not even cult, because it's big enough to not be a cult, but the important thing that it is. This documentary, though, 
I've loved it. I mean, four and a half hours flew by. I barely even noticed the time going. I was so invested because it's a genre I love, a time period. I love all these actors and directors of John Carpenter and stuff showing up. I love all these. It's so fun to watch. But I feel like they barely scratched the fucking surface. It doesn't touch on any fucking jallo at all. It mentions Dario Argento once when talking about Dressed to Kill by Brian De Palma. And, I mean, jallo in the 80s and all the Lucio Fulci 80, or 80s stuff as well, like, None of that stuff gets a fucking look in. That's all vitally important. This feels like it should be a 10-part series. Each episode, like, an hour to 90 minutes. And they explore in heavy detail the decades, the the stuff that made these movies so good. Like, you'd think a four-and-a-half-hour documentary would be the be-all, end-all of horror documentary. But no, it, it, it just feels like it scrapes the surface. Did I enjoy it? Yeah, loved it. Thought it was great fun, nostalgic, really well-made but I don't know I just feel like it's missing so much and it's a shame because I this, this should have been a masterpiece and don't get me wrong I still loved it but I don't know I think I think this should be part one I think this should be In Search of Darkness part two where it's still the 80s it still goes through every decade talking about different movies because there's so much I mean when it shows you each movie they're talking about there's a thousand posters behind it of all these horror movies and I'm just like you could do a full segment on nearly all of these fucking movies and there's so many sub-genres they didn't get into. and I don't know. I think to call it the definitive horror documentary is not correct. I think it's not definitive at all. But I think it's a great way to spend four and a half hours if you're an 80s horror fan. It's a total enjoyment from start to finish. Just just lacking in that sense. But like I said, I still really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than in Search for the Last Action Heroes. Which, while I still enjoyed, it felt a bit... Like it, like it felt like it was finding its feet but this guy David A. Weiner who made this one is doing another movie called if I remember the fucking name of it now it's another in search of movie but it's about it's about 80s sci-fi what's it called In Search of Tomorrow so that's about that comes out in 2021 so that's still being made and if it's as long I'll be happy uh, I feel like there's not as much to get into than there is with 80s horror so i mean if it is that long it probably will cover most of 80s sci-fi but i mean with the action movies and sci-fi like when you look at predator predator is an action movie a sci-fi movie and a horror movie all in one yet that only got a look in in, in search of tomorrow didn't get a look in, in search of, or sorry in search of last action hero didn't get a look in, in in search of darkness it might get a look in in search of tomorrow i don't know but i'm happy these are being made i love these kind of movies it's just that i think I think there should be a part two or it should be a 10 part series because there's so much more to get into with 80s horror that this doesn't touch on for what it does do though it does great and there is problems though. I think I mentioned this with the in search of the last action heroes but the the actual release of these is a bit fucking ropey uh, they've only started doing these special edition ones now which I think are a bit better in terms of how the the posters are delivered to you and whatnot because it was it was a kickstarter or, or a patreon or one of these fucking things is funded by people regular people and i mean the box that comes in is really flimsy it's printed on a dvd or blu-ray or it uh it actually skipped a little bit when i was playing it. i had to actually rewind it and let it calm down a minute before it could continue there's a big sticker on the actual disc which i think might even affect players in some cases so i think whoever they outsourced it to made a bit of a botch job in terms of getting the special edition but the work they put into making the documentary and the passion behind it is definitely great so it's flawed in that sense, but overall, quite enjoyable. But now on to a few of the newer movies I saw. So one of them is 
from last year, I think it was. Although I think it, it showed at festivals last year, but it only got a release on Blu-ray here last month. And it's a movie called Freaks, which was directed by two people, Zach Lipovsky and Adam B. Stein. Um, and it's a really interesting sort of sci-fi mystery movie, which feels like it's going one way, but it, it goes a totally different way. And it stars Emile Hirsch and Bruce Dern. And I think the kid is called Grace Park. I have to make sure. Um, no, that's totally wrong. Uh, Lexi Kalker. Grace Park is actually a, a detective in it trying to stop them. Um, it's a strange one. It, it, the, the general idea is it's a, a, a girl is locked in her house by her paranoid father and is being beckoned out by this ice cream man who sits on the outside or Mr. Snowcone as he's done that's played by Bruce Dern her dad is played by Emile Hirsch and he's ultra paranoid and needs to keep her in there and has a plan to release her at some stage but she has to remain normal and the idea is that she might have some kind of powers that he's trying to prevent her from being seen in the real world with I won't explain well no I suppose I can explain why it's because uh, no I won't explain why so it's an interesting one. I think this... I Actually, no, I'm going to say it's a very solid one. I enjoyed it all the way through. The story's brilliant. There's some really creative stuff in it. Really great ideas. It's strange. It's, it's one, another one. I'm not going to get into certs again because I already touched on that earlier. But it's one that's... It's 15s or R-rated. I have it as a 12s. Even though it's some bloody bits in it and stuff like that. It's because the atmosphere for it will be exciting for someone who's about 12. It's it's not something I have as a, a 15s. But I really fucking enjoyed it. It's really smart, clever... The issue with it is though it clearly doesn't have a big budget. There's parts in it where there's some CGI blood and kind of ropey looking effects that I mean I was willing to overlook them purely because I was into the story and I know it wasn't a huge budget but it's one of those things where I'm looking at it going I wish this had a few more quid. If this had a few more quid it would have had a fucking stellar production design in those certain scenes and it would have looked less cheap but for what it does do it does really well. I thoroughly enjoyed it all the way through. It's a definitely a unique one and quite a surprise. So, Freaks, it's on Blu-ray now. Well worth checking out. One that I managed to, to see, because I didn't see any release date for it over here or even in the UK, which kind of gives an indication of when we're going to get it. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I want to see this movie. I've been waiting to see it for ages. It's by the guy, Jason Leigh Howden, I think is how you say his name, who's a New Zealand guy who made a really fun action horror movie a few years ago called Deathgasm, which was heavy metal teenagers who accidentally summon demons and have to kill loads of zombies and it's loads of fun this one is starring daniel radcliffe and it actually went viral recently enough or not recently enough in the last couple of years because there was a picture of him walking down the streets in new york or i don't know whether it was new york i can't remember where the fuck it was but he's walking down the streets anyway in a dressing gown and pair of boxers big woolly bear slippers and two guns and he looked like he just crawled out of a fucking sewer he looked mental and that image alone sold me the whole idea of this movie sold me uh it is available on amazon prime us so if you have a vpn you can get onto that easy enough i think it was was it 4.99 i can't remember what it was it's better to rent from there anyway if you're going to actually physically buy something i don't like buying things digitally but you can rent it there anyway and you get it for i think 48 hours or something so this movie is called Guns Akimbo. And the idea of it is you're in a new world where like sort of dystopian future where the entertainment is this gambling game where I think I can't remember what the name of the fucking thing is now. Um 
Schism, it's called. Yeah, I don't know why that wasn't going to me. It's in my head now. It's a fucking tool song, nearly. But, although, schism, whatever way you want to fucking pronounce it. But it's this whole thing where there's these battles that go on in the streets that people stream on their phones and watch and they bet on. And the whole idea is you pick two people. It's basically a tournament. You have two people who are, they have to fight to the death and there's drones following them all around the place so they have footage at all times of what they're doing. And Daniel Radcliffe's character, he just makes shitty mobile games and he likes to go online and troll these people who watch this stuff. Unfortunately for him, the trolls find out where he is, they catch him, and they decide, you're going to fucking play the next game of this one-on-one kill fest. And because we know you're not the type to kill people, we're going to bolt guns into your hands. So, he's effectively dual-wielding two pistols that he can't take off with a certain amount of bullets in each one, and he has to go and kill this elite female assassin who goes around and has been the champion for years. And that's about as much as I want to give away. This doesn't give away a lot, by the way. This all happens in 10 minutes. So it's at an absolute breakneck speed this movie runs. But I really was let down by this. I thought it was going to be loads of schlocky, mad, crazy fun. But really, it just felt like... Did I mention who the fuck was in this? Daniel Radcliffe, by the way, is the lead character. And Samara Weaving is the one he fights against. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned that before, but there you go. Um, I was totally let down by this. I thought it was going to be a lot more fun. But it just comes off like a fucking... 12 year old wrote this movie the dialogue it, it, it's a, a New Zealand guy who's writing this dialogue but it's like he's trying to write typical American comedy dialogue and it just comes off with lame shitty jokes it's full of CGI which is another problem it's just the action scenes are fucking lame I think the premise promises something that is a lot more fun and over the top but this just came off as trying way 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 too hard and there's some elements I like. There is there is times where it's funny. There's some clever ideas. I don't hate the movie. I just think it's bitterly disappointing for what it could have been. And definitely tries way too hard. It, it's like it's trying to be crank or something like that. It just... Uh, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I, I, I'm let down by it. I thought it'd be a lot better. And that's about as much as I can say about it. <laughs> so, Guns Akimbo. It's... I think it's coming to DVD and Blu-ray soon over here. It's not getting a cinema release as far as I know. But if you can't wait, Amazon Prime US. You can get it for about four or five quid. I think it's good to support indie directors. But I wouldn't be in a rush to get this one. I think wait till it comes on Netflix or something. It's not really worth uh, your time. Plus I fucking hate the poster. The poster is the most out of proportion, annoying fucking picture I've ever seen. It's Daniel Radcliffe holding two guns looking shocked. The actual picture, his arms are further out, but they've squeezed him in to fit into the poster and it just does not work. So, Guns Akimbo. I don't know. I'd say just watch Crank again. I think the idea is good, but it just doesn't... It doesn't live up to what it should be. So, wouldn't give it a, a recommendation, personally. Although I know people who will love it and I know people who do love it, so... I could just be wrong here, but it, it just didn't work for me. And I expect it better, because Deckgasm was great fun. That's my thoughts on Guns Akimbo. Next is one from a director that is, I think for some people, a bit of a Marmite director. So far, I do like him. I've only seen three out of four of his movies. I think he did four. At least four that I, yeah, I think he did four, because he did shorts and shit before. And I loved one of them. And I thought the other one, the other one was a weird one. I kind of was a bit let down by it. Well, 
I don't know. It was one of visually amazing. The score is amazing, all, but I just remember being pretty bored by it. And that was Macbeth with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. I thought it was good. I, I didn't love it. I do actually want to give it another try, though. Maybe I was expecting something different. First movie he did that I saw and loved was a fucking seriously bleak one called Snowtown. Like, I mean, this is properly fucking bleak. And it's fucking fantastic as well. But it, it's, it's rough, very fucking rough going. But this is the third film of his that I saw. He also did the Assassin's Creed movie, which I couldn't be fucked with. But um, this one is an odd one because I couldn't tell just from the, the images I saw of the movie. I couldn't tell if it was an old western or a fucking... It was set in modern times. It just looked so strange. But it's a movie about... Well, sort of about. When I mentioned Lords of Chaos, how it's a book more about what went on. Not necessarily factually, but just... In that world, this is kind of the same thing. This is more about the Kelly gang. So, Ned Kelly and his brothers and all the people that he got together in the, well, I suppose the mid to late 18, 1800s. Around the 1870s. And he's a bush ranger and it's just all about his life growing up. The kind of horrible stuff. Like his, I think his mom was a prostitute and his dad seemingly was a cross-dresser. And just got involved with criminals and the obviously the british colonialism and not invasion is that the word well the shit the, what the brits got up to basically so this kind of fits almost as a, a, a you could nearly look at it as a companion to uh the nightingale from last year as well which is fucking great but this is based on a, a novel by a guy called peter carey and it's called true history of the kelly gang despite the fact that there's no real truth to it from what people can what historians have said Maybe I meant the word historian earlier. Hmm. But it stars George McKay, who was in 1917. So this is a very big departure for him in terms of what people might be used to having seen that and having seen Captain Fantastic. You have Essie Davis as well, who is in The Babadook. And you have Nicholas Holt, who is just perfectly playing asshole British type. And of course, Charlie Hunnam in there as well, doing the same thing. But you also have Russell Crowe, given a great performance in this movie that I think was a bit understated from a lot of people but the movie takes place as Ned Kelly's a young boy and Russell Crowe kind of takes him in as a sort of he sees him as a father figure that his man wanted him to to grow up and be a real man kind of story and it introduces him to a world of violence that he doesn't really want any part of and then you get to see him as an adult well somewhat adult as he forms his gang to go off and be a bunch of outlaws basically and if you know anything about Ned Kelly you know the whole armour situation there's a a lot to it that is recognisable if you've ever heard anything about it but I don't know what historically is accurate this feels like it's sort of like I mentioned it's similar to the Nightingale in terms of the atrocities and the awful control that was had by the British to the Irish because the Kellys are Irish family even though I think the mother's Northern Irish, but they all have Aussie accents, the rest of them. But it's just a fucking really good, gritty look at all that. But it also, it feels like it's in the same world as The Proposition or something like that. Maybe it's because of the artistic side of it. And you've Nick Cave's son, who's also in it, Earl Cave. And he's a fucking dead ringer for his dad. I actually read a good interview recently where he was talking about how he wanted to be an actor for years. And Nick would always have inappropriate movie night every month where they just watch some movie that they should not be fucking watching because he likes to introduce them to some crazy stuff and I just think that's a great idea but I digress the movie itself really fucking good really stylish and artistic and that's where the the, the proposition sort of 
feel comes from. And even the assassination of Jesse James by the car of Robert Ford, because it's Andrew Dominic directing that. He's an Australian actor or director as well. And there's a lot of his atmosphere and look to certain scenes, uh, particularly a scene involving a train, which obviously set the bar for train scenes in movies with uh, assassination of Jesse James. But this is really gritty, ugly, but stylish. There's like a really great score to it as well by, I think it's Jed Kurzel, Justin Kurzel's brother. Um, or a coincidental second name. But the, the score is fucking amazing. The cinematography is out of this fucking world. There's certain shots in this movie that have my jaw hanging open. There's one in particular, like I think they've done a lot of stuff uh, with lighting. And it almost just looks like he's, there's a spotlight following him riding a horse through the woods and it's just jet black all around him and how they did it is fucking amazing i know after watching like well snowtown looked pretty good anyway but i know after watching Macbeth, he he knows what he's doing with cinematography it's a guy named ari wagner and i think he did a lot of tv and stuff like that as well but the cinematography in this is fucking blinding performances are great uh i just feel it go, obviously it goes a certain way that isn't normal to history as far as I know. There's a lot of stuff that they did accurate. They went to a lot of the real locations and the real jails and stuff that are involved with the family. And they've done stuff like that accurately. A lot of movies have done it before as well. And actually Nick Cave was hugely inspired by the Kelly Gang. Which ins- makes sense for the proposition and the Irish trio of brothers and that. and The general outlaw lifestyle he likes to live. And all his music to me sounds like western music in certain ways. Or like when I say western you know what I mean. Cowboys and outlaws and all that kind of shit but i don't i think i really enjoy the movie i think the artistic side of it is fantastic it'll put a lot of people off i know that for sure if you're if you're photosensitive at all it's gonna fuck you up but i don't know i think uh it's not a masterpiece but it's fucking i think it's really fantastic and something unique and i'd like to i'd like for justin curzel to have a, a lot more movies coming out because he's gonna deliver something new each time he the snow the difference between snowtown difference the difference between snowtown and macbeth was huge and obviously he went from macbeth to doing very generic assassin's creed kind of blockbuster kind of movie and now he's gone back to doing something a bit more gritty down to earth and of his style and i just think this is really good so it's something unique very different there's just a lot of bizarre shit going on in this movie <laughs> but i definitely recommend it so the true or not even the true just true history of the kelly gang uh it's in cinemas now give it a look you're in for a treat and finally i'm going to talk about one that i've been meaning to see for ages now i finally got around to it and that is todd haynes's director or not director i directorial feature uh dark waters which is set in the late 90s and it follows a defense attorney who decides to take a lawsuit against a chemical company which could have been polluting the water around farmland areas and towns, making animals and people very sick. And it stars Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway and Tim Robbins and a great performance, understated performance I think, not a lot of people are talking about it, from Bill Camp who I just think is fucking excellent anyway. Everything I've watched him in he's been great. He looks familiar even though I don't know what else I've seen him in. I remember I think it was... Might have been Midnight Special was one of the first things I saw him in. I was like, why do I know him? But I've never seen him in it before. And you have Mary Wingen- Winningham uh, and himself, herself and Bill Camp are both in The Outsider. Which, like I said, go watch. But, um, yeah, this is just... I, I love these kind of movies where it's a... Like a lawyer who has to... Especially when it's set back in a time where it's not all just on computers. It's all 
big folders full of information they have to go through. It's like detective kind of stuff as well. And I like Mark Ruffalo anyway. But I like these stories where you have like a big shitty company or you have all this information on something that happened years and years ago and someone has to reopen like a cold case or, or investigate something and just get really deep into it and find the corruption and all this kind of stuff. And it's, I, I just love these really satisfying movies of people who are committed to taking down basically defending the little guy I, I just find them really endearing and fun movies this one's really good though it's just really strong it looks really nice well when i say nice it's a dour looking movie but it, it's great cinematography fantastic performance very believable you're immediately on the side of the little people here because no one likes big corporations in general and particularly ones that are chemical plants and have been polluting people and it's like it's a true story like so you know that this shit is real you're just kind of getting a an account of how it happened great performance from tim robbins too he's really strong in this movie it's just overall strong performances and acting from everyone you also have bill pullman in there by the way who he's just great anytime he shows up but yeah i just thought this was a really solid movie i like these types of movies in general so it's obviously going to be up my street anyway and it's fairly eye-opening as well for some of the shit that went on and it's stuff that i like aspects of it i didn't know i actually thought and people have talked as well have thought it was just going to be the kind of aaron brockovich story again where i think it was to do with the uh, contaminated water and i don't know where it was detroit or <laughs> i'm not sure where but it involved contaminated water but this was a, a different story and a lot more serious and it only was close to getting resolved there 10 years ago so it feels a lot more relevant or more recent and relevant and it's just crazy some of the stuff that actually was was hidden uh, but i don't want to reveal much about it i just i think the details i've given there should be enough for you to want to check it out hopefully because i think it's fantastic and i'm surprised there wasn't a lot of oscar consideration for this one because there's some really good performances it's a bit baity in terms of oscar stuff it's the type of stuff that the oscars would go for but i think there's some great fucking performances here and uh yeah dark water is totally worth watching it's still in the cinema and i don't know how long it's going to be there that's the other question but yeah i it gets my full approval and i thought it was great so like i said i'm not going to give any star ratings well unless you look at my net letterbox but that's a different story but yeah i think uh i think that's all i need to talk about this week because i mean i'm not exactly forcing myself to not go on for as long as i usually do but i don't feel like i need to to go any further than this so thank you all for listening uh bit of a bleak episode <laughs> as i said before it's a uh, not necessarily different than what i usually talk about but it's just like i don't know not a lot of people want to throw on a movie podcast to enjoy and hear some recommendations and then just hear me talking about why i think pedos are pieces of shit but at least you know i'm on the right side of that fence so yeah would recommend the movies i saw except guns akimbo would totally recommend people get into or at least research or whatever they can about fan edits because i think they're a great piece of what's the word i know you said history but that's not the word more uh they're their own types of art nearly so i think if you can find some good fan edits of movies they're worth checking out because some of them can be really fucking good and that twin peaks one is way up there support paul schrader's dark if you can do whatever you can to not support the other fucking movie because that's just a theft of artistic property as far as i'm concerned and uh yeah just enjoy movies that's the whole point of this fucking podcast and yeah follow my letterbox as well if you want to get uh full reviews and my instagram as well once i actually fucking update these things this is to update my fucking facebook too but uh yeah 
I'm uh, still coming down. Like I said, not coronavirus, I hope. But uh, talking for long periods of time is just sore on the throat. And after doing six hours of non-stop movie talking before last week, it's just uh, it's tiring. So on that dour fucking ending <laughs> to the podcast, thank you all for listening. I thoroughly thank you. That's not the word. Appreciate is the word I'm looking for. Thoroughly appreciate all those who listen and share it around and enjoy it. And yeah, thanks for listening. You're all cunts. Goodbye.